The Talk Shop. A very good evening to you and welcome to the talk shop on SAFM 104-107. I am Masichaba Mdolo. Tonight we're going to be looking at the ethics and rules of clinical trials. This is a continuation of a discussion that we've had about two weeks ago. Professor Ames Dyer, Director at the Steve Bigger Center for Bioethics, will be joining us on the line. And then at around 7.30, we've got our Financial Services Board project. Tonight we're looking at credit ratings agencies. We'll be talking to Roland Cooper, who's a specialist in the Financial Services Board's Credit Rating Services Department. In the second hour of the talk shop tonight, we pay tribute to Nadine Gordimer, Nobel laureate, writer, and political activist. We'll be talking to Ndake Raksiahwa, Project Director at Africa Century International African Writers Conference. He's also from the South African Literary Awards and Managing Director of the Right Associates. We've got African Affirmations coming your way, brought to you by the Eskia Institute, and we wrap up tonight by um, talking to Professor Andri Studoy, who is the director of the Institute for Poverty, Land, and Agrarian Studies, and we're looking at ownership structures on commercial farms. This is in light of the strengthening the relative rights of people working the land proposal. That is the talk shop for tonight. I am Masichaba Mtolo. Let's get right into it, talking about ethics and rules of clinical trials. We're joined on the line by Professor Ames Dye, Director at the Steve Biko Center for Bioethics, and we will be taking your calls on 0891-104-207, 0891-104-207, or SMS us on 34701. Join our discussion via SMS on 34701, and SMSs are charged at 2 Rand. A very good evening to you, Professor Dye, and thank you so much for joining us. Welcome onto the talk shop. Professor Dai, just uh, briefly, what are the rules um, that look at uh, clinical trials and how are they administered in South Africa? Well, um, we start off with um, ethical rules, which um, actually denote that when you involve participants in clinical trials, they cannot be exploited. They must be protected against harms. Uh, research participants cannot be used as a means to an end. And the ends would be the developments or the interventions that uh, the researchers set out to get. And to avoid um, uh, harming research participants and to protect them, what we have internationally and within South Africa itself as stipulated in the National Health Act, which is an act of parliament, mm. is we've got research ethics committees who actually are bodies that have been put together to safeguard the interests of these participants. There's been a concern. I mean, you spoke about uh, a means to an end that uh, those who are being um, used in the clinical trials are not uh, used as a means to an end. But uh, there is concern coming through that pharmaceutical companies are running businesses and they will do what's in the best interest of the shareholders. Okay. Yes, that is a, a, a valid concern and that is why it is so important to have a third party, a neutral party, to actually uh, protect the interests of the research participants and ensure that they don't actually get used as a means to an end. 
and it is the research ethics uh, committees that actually, when they're looking at the ethics of how the clinical trials are being conducted, the committees will then do a balancing act in terms of ensuring that participants are protected and at the same time not obstructing necessary research. Remember, we've got, uh, there, there seems to be an attitude against pharmaceutical companies mm-hmm. and rightfully so because of some of the atrocities we've seen in the past uh, and uh, atrocities on the research site. One could go back centuries and see this happening even before the advent of pharmaceutical companies. You know, um, if, if you look at maybe uh, a few centuries ago, prisoners were treated like laboratory rats. Mm, mm. And this was not by pharmaceutical companies. So while we actually blame pharmaceutical companies, it's, it's this whole notion of doing research towards a particular ends where we tend to use others as means to an end. Um, and I, I, I think if we just uh, ensure that our, you know, we have adequate safeguards, uh, and, and these safeguards are competent safeguards, then it, it will go a long way in trying to get that balance. The important thing is research is necessary. Research is important. Mm-hmm. Mm. I want to talk about these safeguards and I want to talk about getting the public on board, communities on board with the value of clinical trials. We're talking to Professor Ames Dyer, Director at the Steve Biko Center for Bioethics, and we're looking at the ethics and rules of clinical trials. The Talk Shop. This is the talk shop on SAFM 104 to 107. I am Masachaba Mdolo. Tonight we're continuing a discussion that we started a couple of weeks ago. We continue to look at the ethics and rules of clinical trials and we're joined by the director of the Steve Biko Center for Bioethics, Professor Ames Dye. We are taking your calls on 0891-104-207 or SMS 34701. SMS number is 34701 and and SMSs are charged at two rand. Professor Dyer, just before the break, you were talking about the safeguards that are in place. Um, just take us through some of these safeguards, especially in South Africa, where there is growing concern that uh, developing countries are still being used as cheap labs by the pharmaceutical companies. Okay. In, in South Africa, we start off with uh, protections from our legal perspective. And I can comfortably say that, you know, while um, uh, the huge criticism in terms of the law is we have the best laws, but we don't implement, Mm. I can Mm. very comfortably say in the context of health research, we are implementing. So in terms of our National Health Act, Chapter 9 makes it very clear that uh, no research can be conducted, no health research can be conducted in the country without uh, this research being scrutinized, reviewed, and approved by a registered research ethics committee. Now, so you can't have a research ethics committee that's a Johnny-come-lately committee without any oversight. So research ethics committees themselves are, have national oversight, and if the National Health Research Ethics Council, which actually sets the standards, goes out, registers, and audits. Now, when a research ethics committee is constituted, there are specific criteria 
for the constitution of the Research Ethics Com- Committee. And these are minimum standards in the country. And um, once, you know, and, 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 and once they start functioning, when they review research, they took, take a look at the ethical values that we have. So they look at issues around, is this research worthy of, of, of being done? Is, is there scientific value to it? At the same time, is there social value? What are we going to get for our populations? What is there for our populations? Should this research be done here? And mm-hmm. if we're happy that there is both social and scientific value in the research, then you look at other things in terms of the research methods. You look at the science. You scrutinize it to ensure that the science in itself is immaculate and it's you know it's worthy of being done. Because if you come in and do a research project and the science is faulty, then obviously the results will be faulty and you would be using research participants in a worthless activity and possibly putting them at risk as well Mm. well in Mm. that process. So we scrutinize the science. Then you look at your inclusion-exclusion criteria and you look at it from the perspective of science itself and you look at it from the perspective of ethics. You know, is, is, uh, is there no particular group being included in the research based on specific vulnerabilities that can be exploited? Is there no specific group being excluded from the research? And will this be the group, uh, the group that's excluded, will they, they be that advantage lot that would actually benefit from the research in the end. So you look to see that the benefits and risks of research are shared equitably in society. But what about uh, the groups that are having uh, huge challenges in accessing quality health care and see their, their participation in the clinical trials as the only, only way to get this access? It does this not create a conflict in itself? It does, absolutely. Absolutely create a conflict and what do you do in that mm. situation mm. because let's look at the reality on the ground okay mm. we have a situation where unfortunately South Africa being the rich country that it is still cannot deliver basic health care services to the poor and the needy okay mm-hmm. so that is the reality on the ground okay So, unfortunately, what happens is the poor and the needy see research sites as means of accessing health care. And that is why the research ethics committees have to ensure that when these research, when, when these communities get to these research sites, the research that they're actually accessing, the health care that they're accessing from the research sites is pertinent to their particular problems. So when we find our research commun- uh, our communities going to particular sites, they're not going to go to sites where they're going to be exposed to research that is of no health value. To mm-hmm. I, I don't think anyone's going to do that. However, when they get into this, uh, these sites, mm. oftentimes what happens is a placebo is used. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it is very very, very important for them to realize and to understand that they may not get 
the proposed intervention. It's also very, very, very important for them to realize that that proposed intervention may not necessarily be effective. But what about taking people off medication in order to have them as a control group? I mean, this is one of the issues that was raised uh, raised in the Dutch NGO report uh, entitled Clinical Trials Industry in South Africa, Ethics, Rules and Realities. They talk about... Um, children as young as six that were taken off life-saving medication so that they could participate as a control group in a clinical trial? You know, if you're talking about that Remos report, mm, mm. I, I have huge concerns with mm. the way that report was actually reported because there were some of us that participated mm-hmm. in this process and unfortunately many of our quotes were taken out of context. Mm-hmm. And the other issue with this report is when research is done and the research is then published and it's done ethically, any quotations that's used is, should be sent back to the original individual that stated the, uh, the, 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 you know, the issue mm. to ensure that what they've actually captured has been correctly captured and not, none of this happened. So, uh, you know, the WIMOS report per se is a flawed report. Now, in terms of the, uh, the research done on children, etc., that they talked about, mm. I have not seen that protocol. I, so I can't comment on something that I have not scrutinized myself. I'm, I'm glad that um, and, and that uh, you're familiar with the report and uh, one of the reasons why we specifically looked for you, Professor Dai, was because you were quoted in, uh, in the report around um, accessing of healthcare to enter the clinical trials and um, the guest that we spoke to, the expert that we spoke to before, ha- was not familiar at all with it, which then raised huge issues in the minds of our listeners that, uh, you know, either she is trying to avoid the issues or um, she is trying to paint the researchers in a positive light and ignoring this report. Yeah. So I'm really glad that we've, re- we've uh, interacted and, and brought out, you know, um, your involvement with the report and your feelings on uh, some of the issues that, um, that uh, were highlighted in it. One of the concerns that I have is that they state that only two of the 15 research organizations in South Africa agreed to be interviewed um, by the writer of the report, which talks about transparency and access to information. In your knowledge, how how accurate is this? Again, I'm not too sure how accurate that is. If, you know, if they say only two agreed to be interviewed, do they say anything about the number of research ethics committees that agreed to be interviewed? No. Do they say anything about difficulties that they had with getting research ethics committees interviewed? And it's these research ethics committees that actually safeguard participants. Mm-hmm. I'll come back to the issue of the uh, university ethics committees because they say that uh, the research ethics committees are largely um, uh, uh, supervised um, or are largely constituted of university ethics committees and uh, they raise some concerns around that as well. I'd also like um, uh, an explanation or at least uh, uh, to differentiate between the research ethics committees and the contract research organizations because they highlight that particular issue. We're talking about the ethics and rules of clinical trials tonight with Professor Ames Dyer, Director at the Steve Biko Center for Bioethics. 
The Talk Show. This is the talk shop on SAFM 104 to 107. I am Masa Mdolo. We're continuing a discussion that we had about two weeks ago looking at the ethics and rules of clinical trials. And we're joined on the line by the director of the Steve Biko Center for Bioethics, Professor Ames Dye. We're taking your calls 0891 104 207, 0891 104 207, or SMS 34701. SMS number is 34701, and SMSs are charged at two rand. I've got an SMS coming in, Professor Dye, but before we go there, I just want to quickly go back to the issue of uh, the research um, research ethics committees. The report that uh, we've touched on, the uh, by Dutch NGO WEMOS, looking at clinical trials industry in South Africa ethics rules and realities, talks about um, the um, committees being comprised of university ethics committees, and they say that they do not have the money to audit all the trial sites. Okay, so the reality is nowhere in the world does do you know do research ethics committees actually uh, have the support to go out and audit absolutely every every clinical trial site. Mm-hmm. So that is a reality internationally. Uh, most research ethics committees in the country are housed within institutions. Uh, there are two private research ethics committees in the country, one belonging to the South African Medical Association mm-hmm. and one belonging to pharma ethics. Okay. Now, when research ethics committees actually review protocols and give approval to protocols, uh, that's part of the, um, you know, the, uh, the pre-conduct of the trial uh, process. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that we definitely fall short on is having adequate support to go out and m- monitor every trial. However, as per standard, best standard or, or, or best practice standards, each information sheet has the contact details of the research ethics committee, which Participants can call through should they have any concerns with regard to the way they've been treated on the trial. And with the result, we do have complaints coming through in that manner. Mm-hmm. Okay. The other thing that research ethics committees do is passive monitoring. So in other words, once you approve the trial, you actually have, do a continuous review, which the WEMOS report hasn't brought up at all. So you ask for a report on the trial Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on an annual basis. Or if it is a highly complex problem, you would ask for it more frequently, maybe six monthly. So you ask for these reports and you scrutinize these reports Mm -hmm. to ensure that participants aren't being exploited and, you know, the researchers are conducting the trial as per approved protocol. Um, There are other things that you ask for, and that's the monitor reports. Mm -hmm. So you have two forms of monitoring, and the WIMOS report only talked about the the monitoring that's funded by the pharmaceutical companies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's also data safety and monitoring boards, and these are international experts put together by 
the sponsors of the research because someone's got to put together these experts. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so someone's got to pay for getting this process going. Data safety and monitoring board members, as a rule, don't get paid. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the DSMBs do a better job of the monitoring. So, you know, the monitors that this WIMOS report is talking about don't actually monitor the ethics. They go into the sites. They look to they look to ensure that all the paperwork is being done properly, mm-hmm. data is being handled properly, it's being captured properly, etc., etc. But they don't look at the ethics either. I've got an SMS coming in, Professor Dai, um, that uh, listener says, why are these trials always done on black Africans? Poor people are always the guinea pigs, and this is done without even informing them. No, this is not true. Mm-hmm. Um, the trials are done on, uh, you know, people are invited to participate in the trials. Mm-hmm. They're not done without the people actually knowing that they're getting into the trials. Okay. Because this is the standard way in which one does uh, the trials. And um, if you find more black people in trials as compared to white people, it could be possibly because there are certain diseases that are more pre- prevalent in the black society or the black group. So when one goes into a trial site, one is not looking to see, well, that's a vulnerable group, I can exploit that group. But does that, would that group have the type of disease we actually um, uh, unpacking or we studying? It would be pointless going and doing a disease to benefit the white group in a black population. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You see, so I think it's very, very important for our our public to have an understanding of this whole concept of clinical research mm-hmm. and the, the importance of it being done correctly, scientifically as well. How accessible is this information? The WEMAS report talks about the secretive nature of many monitoring bodies involved in these clinical trials. How true is this? Can one just uh, get information about any ongoing clinical trial and even, you know, who, com- 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 who um, is, is part of the research ethics committees? No, you see, the thing is, one can't just go to a research ethics committee or one can't just go to a monitoring body and ask for information because there are confidentiality issues and there are intellectual property Mm -hmm. issues as Mm -hmm. well. However, uh, if you want to know who, you know, who belongs to the research ethics committees, how many research ethics committees there are in the country, etc., all one has to do is go onto the Department of Health website Mm-hmm. to the National Health Research Ethics Council site, and there's a list of all the registered committees on that site. You could then get into the committee site itself, and you could get a list of the committee membership on the committee site. If you go into, you, you know, many of the committees belong to tertiary institutions. Mm-hmm. One needs just to go onto the website of the tertiary institution, and it's usually the research office would have all the details of the research ethics committees. So it's not that this sort of information is not accessible. 
Professor Ames Dye, a director, uh, the director actually at the Steve Bigo Center for Bioethics, talking about the ethics and rules of clinical trials. The Talk Shop. This is the talk shop on SAFM 104 to 107. I am Masataba Ndolo in conversation with Professor Ames Dai, Director of the Steve Biko Center for Bioethics. We're talking about the ethics and rules of clinical trials. Professor Dai, last week we received a call from a listener who said that he was part of the uh, microbicide gel for the prevention of HIV trials. And he was really concerned at how those trials were uh, um, conducted. He spoke about um, the, uh, you know, people that were part of the trials that ended up HIV positive because of the nature um, of of uh, the the, uh, the the clinical trials themselves. And um, th- there wasn't much information forthcoming with regards to this and, and what has happened um, since then. Would you be able to, to fill us in? Yeah, you see, with the microbicide trials, uh, the ones done um, in the late 90s in the country, there were concerns there. Uh, and the very first trials, uh, the non-oxynol trial done in KwaZulu-Natal, actually showed um, that there was a really high seroconversion rate amongst those that participated and received the microbicide. Uh and that trial had to be stopped. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of criticism against that trial. Remember, that's the late 90s. Mm. One questions how the, uh, you know, the research ethics committees reviewed the protocol then, etc. We're looking at 2014. And we're looking at um, the safeguards and protections at this stage as per the demands of our National Health Act of 2003. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one needs to look at the evolution of safeguards in the country. So that was the very first in the late 90s. Then subsequent to that, there was another microbicide trial that there were concerns about in that it's not that more people actually seroconverted, but um, there was futility. In other words, they weren't able to show that the microbicide really helped. Mm -hmm. And what happened with these trials is there was this data safety and monitoring board that met every six months in most cases and reviewed all the results and was able then to see that uh, you know the microbicide is really not working. And you might as well, and they recommended to the researchers that they prematurely shut down the trials, and this is what's happened. Um, If a research ethics committee today has to actually review a microbicide trial, um, a very, very, very important aspect of the review is looking at the science and looking at the risks and harms of the trial as compared to the benefits. 
Professor Dai, we have to leave it right there. Thank you so, so much for clarifying a lot of the outstanding issues for our listeners who were concerned around, uh, you know, the ongoing ill treatment of those that are taking part in the clinical trials. And you've really um, assured us that we've seen a regulatory environment that has been strengthened and that is working in monitoring what is taking place with regards to the clinical trials and also how shored up and... um, supported the research ethics committees themselves are. Thank you very, very much for your time. That's Professor Ains Dye, Director at the Steve Biko Center for Bioethics.